All right, we're back. Episode 55 of the Broadway Jets podcast. You'll know me from Twitter as NYJ Matt. I'm not joined by NYJ Mike today. We have his replacement, Michael Nania. So Mike, thanks for joining the program. Yeah, I think I'm about to pull a Mike White here. Um, with Mike <laughs> out, I'm going to drop 405 and I'm going to replace him. I love it. I love it. And get right into it. Mike White goes for 405, three touchdowns. The Jets have a huge upset win against the Bengals. Nania, take me through your thoughts watching that game. Yeah, it, it was. It got to the point where it was a really surreal experience, the consistency at which they were moving the ball. And you could feel it watching, but just the record after the game that I dug up, the fact that they had 32 first downs, that was their most since 1986. They're tied for the third most in franchise history. And that's what it felt like watching the game, just how effortlessly they were moving the ball. So it was crazy to watch. It felt like a dream experience. I Only now I'm kind of understanding that it did really happen and it wasn't something that I saw in my dreams, but um, it was crazy. And it was definitely a lot of fun rejuvenating for the hope and future of this franchise. Uh, and it's crazy how things can change so dramatically in the, in the course of one week. Agreed. Agreed. And even if they lost that game, I was sitting there in the stadium with Mike and they were down 11 with seven to go. And I looked at him, I said, we played our asses off today. The young guys played great. There's a lot of good takeaways from this game. Right. And, and it just felt like they weren't going to do it. And they weren't going to get that win. And the defense wasn't going to get that stop or that turnover that they needed. And Shaq Lawson had to play, obviously. Mike White played his ass off the final seven minutes as he did the entire game. It was, it was chaos in the stadium. The parking lot, people made eye contact. They would just say, Mike White, point at you. The Mike White <laughs> chants were great. The entire feel of the season changed in that one game. And I think Jet X Factor has done a really good job showing that the offense didn't really change. Yes, they threw it more on first down, but the, the plays themselves didn't change. Can you go into that a little bit? I know um, a handful of people on Jets X Factor were talking about it. What's your thoughts on how Mike White ran the offense? Yeah, I think in a few different ways, it was different. And in a lot of ways, it was very much the same. And we just saw better execution on mm -hmm. part of not only the quarterback, but the entire offense. Obviously, the O-line is better. The skill position players were, especially the running backs, fantastic making plays. Um, but in terms of Michael Floor and Mike White, I think the difference definitely came in that opening drive, how aggressive they were throwing the ball play after play, because usually it's been run, run, pass. That's how they came out last week. Um, but they throw the ball nearly every play in that opening drive. I think that was a big difference, the confidence to run. Trick plays was another one. They had three flea flicker plays in this game. Yeah. Um, also the screen game, they pumped that up. The design touches on jet sweeps and end around. So I think the creativity was up from LaFleur's part. But for the most part, the bread and butter of the offense the concepts that they're running were very similar. And we just saw a quarterback who was playing the opposite style of Zach Wilson. Zach would, it has been very aggressive. He's always looked for the deepest part of the concept and been late to hit the check down if he hits it at all. But mm -hmm. Mike White in this game was very quick to hit his check downs, always put them in a great spot to lead the receiver to produce yardage after the catch. Um, and that's just the way the Bengals played them in this game. A lot of cover three, they're playing off, giving – giving the check down all day. So Mike White just consistently took it. Um, so I definitely think the pass heaviness early in the game, the creativity from Michael Floor was different. But for the most part, I think the overall production of the offense was a product of just a quarterback who was much more comfortable within the offense and executing the plays that were called. Yeah, I really liked your point on the check down because when you're in the stadium too, you see it a lot. I noticed it during the Patriot game. 
you know, you look at Wilson, you're like, oh, hit Croft real quick on the flat or hit Carter on the check down. And if he hits him late, instead of getting eight to nine yards, he gets one to two. And it right. was it was cool to watch Mike White run that offense. You mentioned the O-line. The O-line, from a, a practical standpoint of watching the game from the stands, it looked like there was a clean pocket all day in the past game. And if the pocket did collapse a little bit, White was able to get the ball out. I think he had eight incompletions. A few of them, two of them were the picks that were tipped. Another one, I think he just dirted or threw away. So when he had a clean pocket to throw, he had like a 90% completion rate. And I think you alluded to it um, in your article and we DM'd on the side. Vera Tucker had a hell of a game run blocking. The five pressures, what did you see on those? Had you had a chance to go through the five pressures that AVT allowed? Because personally, I didn't see that, but obviously the stats show something different after the game. Yeah, I do think it was one of the shakier games for AVT and pass protection. In the run game, he was great. Um, in pass protection, though, there were a few different plays where he did get beat, but the ball came out quick. So White was able to make up for it. So, But the biggest part of the offensive line in this game was that McGovern and Van Roten played a lot better. They were legitimately good in this game. Um, and Chumate Doga came in, and he was solid filling in for Fant. He really did not give up anything of note in the passing game. So I think the biggest thing is that those guys stepped it up. And AVT, I do think, did legitimately step back a little bit pass protection in this game. But because I think the quick passing is part of his, you know, falling back a little bit. I feel like a couple of the losses he took, he's playing aggressive, shooting his hands quickly. So he got beat, but it didn't necessarily matter as much because the Jets were getting the ball out so quickly. Um, so I think the offensive line and the approach of the passing game worked in lockstep. And that's why he got sacked only twice and one of those two sacks that he took was a bad one where he ran out of bounds it's only one real sack and then only two hits in addition to that so I think it's a combination of the quick passing from White and the pass protection to do an okay job but the run game O-line was great in the run game they had their best before contact yardage of the season uh, third best out of any running back unit in the league in terms of before contact yards so O-line played I think it's best game yeah, and I love that stat about the O-line creating separation. For so many years, Mike and I would talk about when the ball snapped, it just always felt like our offensive line was a half-yard back and not getting that half-yard push forward. It's good to see that they had that in this past game. And another thing, I forgot about the sack that Mike White took in the stadium, seeing it go from, like I think it was second and four to third and nine or something, just easily could have thrown the ball away. That was a miscue as well as, Carter not getting the first down, more not staying in bounds. So two or three interesting plays that the Jets miscued, but still won the game, so it didn't matter. I want we touched on the O line, we touched on Mike White. The skill players had a, a really good game, especially the young guys. We all know Michael Carter went off for 172 all-purpose yards. I think he was third in the NFL in touches. Uh, so we don't have to go too much on Michael Carter. He, we know he's played his ass off. But I think Elijah Moore finally felt like a real part of the offense. I think he had six per 64. Even though Mims dropped the ball in the end zone, he still felt on like from the stands point, he was getting after it and creating separation. So talk to me a little bit about the wide receiving core. We know we had the cold catch that was called back, but specifically Mims, Crowder, and Moore. How did you think they did? The interesting thing about Moore, which I didn't realize until looking into it after the game, is that he didn't play a lot in this game. I think he played about 40, 45% of the snaps, and yet he still caught all six of his targets for 60-something yards. I forget the exact number, but mm -hmm. um, he didn't play a ton. But when he was in there, he was 
getting consistently fed the ball. Um, I think I do think there was a little bit of a change in Elijah Moore's usage in this game. And I think Corey Davis being out had a lot to do with that. I think you saw Mims sort of pick up Corey Davis's role a little bit. And then you saw Elijah Moore run a little bit more short stuff. And he was able to make a lot of those quick hitting catches. But at the same time he was doing that, there was also the play later in the game where he toasted the corner on the outside, should have had a 40, 50 yard touchdown, whatever it was. Uh, and Mike White missed them. And there was a penalty in that play, so it didn't matter. Um, but he played really well. And you got to see what he could do. Um, in the short game, because most of what we've seen this season is the deep game, and he's done well. The ball just hasn't hit him. Um, but we saw in this game that he can be reliable um, in the short and intermediate range as well. And as for, as for Mims, I think, you know, the touchdown that he dropped, it would have been great if he could have made that play. It, was, it wasn't a, a, you know, a terrible drop. I think, you know, he made a good adjustment to put himself in position to make that play. But it's, a, it's one you would have liked to have. But mm-hmm. – uh, I still think throughout the game, he felt his blocking impact. Uh, he had a couple first downs. Uh, and for the most part, I don't think his route running was bad because I think his, his role for the most part was just he was going vertical, clearing guys out, and that's why the check downs were open. So I feel like he did help in that way. Um, but it was promising to see Mims lead the unit in the snaps. Hopefully going forward, even when Davis comes back, that's a positive sign that he's getting more acclimated to the offense and gaining the trust of the coaching staff. Yeah, and Joe Douglas alluded to that in his press conference this evening that Mims deserves more playing time, and he's going to get that. It's good to see him out there. The more play that he saved the touchdown, both Moore and Mims tracked down. They did a DK Metcalf play from last year. Yeah, that that hustle in the stadium it still was deflating. Right, we threw a pick, it was tipped, and they got down to the one yard line. After the game, me and Mike go back and watch the play, and hell of an effort by Moore. Uh, what what was your take on that play? Oh, that was great, and I didn't I didn't notice Mims as I didn't realize Mims ran that far. I saw him at the end of the tackle, and I saw it at first, but upon the replay or watching it after the game, he covered even more ground than Moore did. And I think he hit a higher top speed based on that tweet that the Jets shared. Um, but that's fantastic from both of those two guys. I think that's a perfect embodiment of the mentality that they're trying to establish with all gas, no breaks and everything like that. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And then moving on to the defense, I know we talked a lot of offense so far, the defense still gave up 31 points. It was not a perfect game from them, but they made the big play when it mattered. It felt like one of those games and the jets have been a part of it. Atlanta game specifically that they have a chance to get the ball back and that the Falcons and now the Bengals are going to drive down the field, ice the game, and we would have nothing to come out of it. It was great to watch Shaq Lawson make that play. It was un- I couldn't even tell you. I-, I almost fell off my seat and fell back a row. It was a hell of a play. Anything that stood out to you on the defensive end? I know Bryce Hall and Brandon Eccles, I think they each had one or two miscues that some big plays happened, but for the most part, holding Jamar Chase to that few of receptions and yards, a good game. So talk to me a little bit about the defense. Yeah, I think the defense, you know, there were a lot of positives and a lot of negatives. I think in the positive, you look first at the corners. I think it's fantastic how they played against Jamar Chase. They held him to a season low in yardage, and he did beat Eccles for the touchdown. He dropped another touchdown, but still, he had over 200 yards against the Ravens in the previous game. So, um, for them to hold him very much in check was a testament to everyone. I think Eccles had good reps against him. Hall had a good rep breaking up the pass in the end zone. 
and Hall had a really good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he did give up that big pass to, I, I believe it was T Higgins, but the replay showed that probably wasn't a completion. And then he gave up a touchdown later. I think it was to Boyd. Um, and on that play, I don't really see how any corner could have stopped that play. He's playing inside. Boyd is to the outside. It was a scramble drill because the pass rush created no pressure. Burrow had all day. So Boyd breaks back outside away from Hall. Um, so other than those two catches, Hall didn't give up anything. So I think this was a great, um, a great measuring stick game for him that he really passed a test that he passed. So Michael Carter second gave up one catch in this game. So all across the board, the cornerbacks were great. I think the biggest question in this game was the pass rush. I feel like it was a pretty quiet game for them. John Franklin Myers had only one pressure. Um, and then Ashton Davis had a very bad game. He gave up over 110 yards, a touchdown. So uh, there were some questions, but I think they came up big when they needed to in the beginning of the game with the red zone stop. Um, then later Shaq Lawson coming up the interception. So um, they came up big in some big spots, but they did give up three long touchdown, three 70 plus yard touchdown drives. So there are some areas they can improve. Yeah. Ashton Davis did not have a good game. I tweeted out that he was my least favorite player on the team. And I guess he searched his name after the game because I looked at uh, his Twitter account. And he blocked me. So I don't think Ashton Davis is too happy with me. Uh, but no, I agree that defense had, had their fair share of, of really bright spots, but still giving up 31 and a few long touchdown drives. I think the next thing we can talk about real quick is, is the quarterback controversy that people are now stirring up. I think it's a very simple solution, what you do, but I want to hear your thoughts first. I think there's a few different things that can happen that play out that make it a little more interesting. But right now, what are your thoughts on this made-up QB controversy, or do you think there is one? Yeah, it's really interesting to have this now. I don't think anyone thought we'd be having this conversation, you know, two, three days ago, but here we are. Mike White went out and threw for 405 yards. Um, I I think that going back to Zach Wilson is the most likely scenario, unless White has another game of this caliber, you know, dominant performance, then I think it probably just makes sense to go back to Zach Wilson. But, you know, it's even they if white plays good and they win, but he's not great. Even in that situation, if you go back to Wilson then it just becomes awkward, there's going to be a lot of pressure on him. He's going to be playing the bills in that first game back. Um, So it's really tough. It all depends on what white does this Thursday. Does he play great? Does he play good? Okay. Bad. Do they win the game? So there's a lot of factors in play. And I, I do think that they are definitely considering sticking with him if he plays well, based on the answers that Douglas gave today, Salah on Monday. They definitely – they've had chances to say, yeah, Zach is our guy. He's going to get the job back. And they haven't done it. So um, I think the door is definitely open. But we'll, we'll see what happens. It's This is crazy that we're even talking about this. Yeah, I, I think it's a unique scenario. I don't think there's a playbook to, to tackle what the Jets are going through right now. I think the most interesting – interesting scenario is that if Mike White plays eh, Thursday night and the Jets lose, which is probably the betting money right now, the Jets are 10 point underdogs. So say the Jets lose and Mike White plays. Okay. Now I do think he'll start against the bills. I don't think they want to rush Wilson back from an injury, but I think they kept him off IR so he could practice and get reps. So say they don't want to throw him out against Buffalo and Mike White plays great at home and beats Buffalo. That's where I think it gets interesting because I think, the odds are the Jets will be double-digit underdogs against Indy, and they will be double-digit underdogs against Buffalo. 
So if they lose both those games, Mike Waite plays okay. Then you start off Wilson with home against Miami, Houston, the Eagles, home against New Orleans, the Dolphins, the Jaguars, and then the Buccaneers and Bills, two teams the following two weeks that might be sitting their starters. This is an eight-game momentum that Zach Wilson can really end the year strong if you start him that late. I think it gets very interesting if they lose Thursday night. Because if they go 3-0 against Indy and Buffalo, you have to ride Mike White until he drops. Even if Zach Wilson is a long-time answer, which I think he's definitely going to be, you, you have to ride Mike White until he loses or really falters. So I think the, the, the question I'll pose to you, if Mike White plays okay and loses against Indy, but beats the Bills at home, what do you do for that Miami game? Because you know then Zach Wilson is fully cleared and healthy to play, and Mike White is 2-1 as a starter. So I'm, I'm posing that question to you. Uh, then it gets really interesting because I feel like if he plays okay and loses, then they might put Wilson out there against mm-hmm. Buffalo. Yep. But in, in that situation that you bring up, man, that gets really tough. This is hard. This is they're in a tough situation here. I think in the situation you brought up, if that, you know, they don't put him out against Buffalo because they don't want to put Wilson, you know, bring him back against a tough team. Um, they don't think he's 100% healthy yet. And then White goes out and plays well and beats them. I think at that point is three, even, you know, because in this scenario, he still loses to the Colts, plays okay against them. I think the three-game body of work there, beating the Bengals and the, and the Bills and playing great in those two games is still very good. So in that situation, I think they would stick with them if he and plays really good in that Bills game and beats them. Yeah, and at that point, though, the Jets would be three and six, and you have eight games left, and you're not banking probably then on the playoffs, even though I always root for the playoffs until they're statistically out of it. You have eight games. You really need to evaluate what you took at number two. right? You need to evaluate who Zach Wilson is. Can he be the longtime quarterback for this team? It gets interesting in that scenario, and I'm very much looking forward to it. I want them to win every game. I don't care what happens. Uh, I think Douglas and Salah said exactly what you have to talk about when it comes to a quarterback controversy. You have to say we'll take it day by day. If they said Mike White is a long-term starter, you kill Zach Wilson's confidence. If you say Zach Wilson's coming back as soon as he's healthy, you ruin Mike White's, you know, what he's doing on the field because you have to acknowledge how well he's playing. The one thing that I caution the most, and this goes out to the 100 people that listen to the podcast. If Zach Wilson comes back for Buffalo after a loss against Indy, if he goes three and out the first two drives, as a fan base, you really need to be able to not get either boo or cheer from Mike White. You got to ride with the guy you have. But the problem with what I've noticed with this fan base, and everyone can fan their own way, the, the Sam Darnold turn that happened week three or four of last year, I thought was too quick. After week nine and 10, I really understood everything that was happening. But if we turn on, on Zach Wilson in his like fifth or sixth start, it, it is a confidence killer for a guy that isn't a big market dude. He was at BYU. He was kind of under the radar coming out. I, I just, I, I picture the scenario and I'm sure you do too. If they lose to Indy and he plays against Buffalo, back-to-back three and outs, you will hear Mike White's name, and and it's a killer that it's going to happen. And I, I think that's the most likely scenario right now. Uh, I, I don't know what to tell fans. You know, you can't tell anyone how to fan, but, geez, it, it is 
not great to ruin the confidence of your yeah i think that i think the people who listen to this podcast most people on twitter will have patience with zach no matter what happens i think the people who would be asking for white are those longtime season ticket holders those kind of people in the stands who have no idea what they're watching and they just remember mike white played good they want to see him but i think most of us kind of grasp that Wilson is allowed to play as bad as he wants the rest of the season as a rookie. It's okay. And we got to be patient with that. Agreed. Agreed. And I, when it comes to, when it comes back to the Douglas comments, I agree a hundred percent with him. I think we're going to take it day by day. I really love that. We do have a Thursday night game to quickly get back because sports talk radio and how everything's going. The Mike white does feel like the Jeremy Lynn saga and it's cool that we get to watch it unfold four business days later, right? We're right back to it on Thursday night. We're playing a Colts team that they really played for their life last week against Tennessee. That, that game really could make or break their season. And the fact that they fell flat and the way they that Wentz turned the ball over at the end, I could see that team being deflated and not really rallying around Wentz and, and come out a little flat. And and that's why I think the Jets can use their momentum. The 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 big talk is, will the Jets have a letdown game after how fucking well they played? Can very well happen. How do you think the Jets match up against Indy moving on to Thursday night? I actually think their defense is a great matchup for White to keep doing what he was doing. They're it's a zone defense that doesn't do a ton of blitzing. They play off. Um, I, I think they're definitely going to adjust to what they saw him do against the Bengals, the Bengals do against him, and play a little bit more aggressively, make him beat them downfield, but – I think this is a team that he can continue to play the way he played last week against. Um, but it would be great just to see this whole team put out a good road performance because this team is two and one at home right now. It's on the road where they're zero and four. So, and they haven't really played a great complete team game in any of those. So, it would be great to see them come out on the road on prime time and just put out a complete team performance. Yeah, I hear you. Quick question for you on Marcus May. You're Joe Douglas. The year wraps up. What are you comfortable paying Marcus May moving forward if you want to keep him with the Jets? Man, it's tough. I can see why they didn't trade him right now because we talked about Ashton Davis. I think they would be in a very bad spot at safety if they traded May. But at the same time, he's not playing awesome. He was part of that 50-yard bomb that I think he and Davis were both contributing to giving up in this game. He missed some tackles. So I don't think he's playing great right now. I definitely don't think this season has added to his case or done anything to make the Jets want to move up from the number they were at. Um, so based on the based on the based how talks went out last offseason, based on how he's played this year, I would say $10 million max, absolute max, maybe 9-8 is more realistic because I just don't think he's added to his value this year. It's a great point. And it was very unique to hear Joe Douglas talk about it in his presser today because the classic Joe Douglas answer and most GMs will be, will basically say, we love Marcus May. He's been a big part of what we're trying to build here. Great leader. We'd love to have him back. And of course that is going to be a priority in the off season. He didn't do that. He actually went against that and said, there's a lot of season to play. We'll see how it pans out. That quote right there was very surprising to me. I think what the Jets are going to do is they're going to have that $9 million number and basically tell Eric Burkhart, who's a psycho of an agent, $9 million is our number. If anybody goes below that, take it if you want it. If anyone goes above it, give me one quick call. I'll let you know if I'm in it. But $9 million is our number. Figure it out. I think that's what they do. And they have an opportunity to potentially draft a safety like Kyle Hamilton. If they get a two top 12 picks, they can sign someone in free agency. 
I, I really just don't like Ashton Davis. And it's not because he's a bad guy or that he plays Call of Duty in his time off. I just don't think he's a, like watching him on the field. I don't get excited. The only thing I remember from Ashton Davis of being pumped is when he had, I think he had the personal foul against the Patriots on Monday Night Football when he was going in for the sack. I just don't like Ashton Davis. And he's not a bad dude. I don't care that he blocked me on Twitter, even though I care a little bit. I, I can't I can't be comfortable with him being the only safety. So what are your thoughts on, on Joe Douglas' comments regarding Marcus May? Yeah, I think it's definitely kind of telling the fact that he wouldn't give that business-like answer, like you said. And it's just it's another – it's more writing on the wall in this saga that these two sides are not close at all in terms of valuation. But, you know, maybe if Marcus May continues to struggle – and I don't think he's necessarily struggling. He's just not playing at the level he was last year. Um, maybe after a whole season of that, him and his agent have to be more realistic. The rest of the league doesn't value him that way either. And he has to come down to the Jets number. And then Joe Douglas looks like a genius for drawing his line in the sand and getting May at a more realistic number. And I think that's what his goal is as a negotiator, that he's going to he values players based on what he sees on tape. That's the price he's going to pay. If you're going to ask for more than that, I'm not going to pay it. So um, based on the way things are going, that actually could be a realistic possibility. You know, maybe the league brings May's value down and he sees that he's not going to get paid more elsewhere and the Jets do get him at their number. So we'll see how it plays out, but they definitely don't seem close. That'd be great. A hometown discount for Marcus May sounds like music to my ears. The final question I'll have for you, uh, a lot of people thought the Jets could be buyers for a young player still have some years on their contract just to bring into the organization but most likely be sellers and guys like Marcus Mayer, Jameson Crowder would be on the move. The Jets did make one move. I, I don't want to butcher his name. I'll call him LDT, uh, the guard, obviously, from the Chiefs. What do you think of that move? Dan Brown being a special teamer. I know Rich Samini hated the move. What do you think about that flip for the Jets and the Chiefs here? I think this is an awesome trade. And I actually pointed out LDT in an article a while ago as a target that they could look at. The Chiefs just had – they have so much O-line depth. He's an expiring contract. Um, so it seemed like he was expendable. And obviously he was. They traded him for Daniel Brown. So um, I'm surprised that the Jets were able to get him for, for that price because, like, I would rather give up a set, conditional seventh-round pick than Daniel Brown. Or I would say that would be more valuable than him. He just brings nothing to the table on offense. I don't think he's a good special teamer. Um, but LDT brings, at worst – I think an experienced, good locker room presence, good backup because he hasn't played in a couple of years. He's into his thirties. We don't know how much he has left. He just got traded for Daniel Brown, but the last time he did play in 2019, he was a good starter and contributed to helping the chiefs win the super bowl. So, I mean, I think that they'll give it a few weeks, let him work his way into the offense, learn the playbook and everything, see if he's still in good playing shape. And then in a few weeks, if Greg Van Roten continues to struggle, I think they're now, can be a quick leash to get LDT in there and upgrade that right guard spot. So I think this is a great move for zero, pretty much for free, um, zero cost, getting an upgrade to your offensive line depth. I love this trade. Yeah, I like the move too. And it's interesting. Do you, the question is, did the Jets winning Sunday affect that they were going to be selling heavy? Because if you're a one and six football team, Mike White hypothetically played terrible. Your quarterback is not going to be healthy. You're probably going to lose to the Colts and be one and seven, then play the Bills. You're one and eight. If the Jets lose to the Bengals, do they consider going after and and giving up May for a third round pick or trading Crowder for a fourth or fifth round pick? It's interesting to think about. Could one game impact this team that much where they say, 
you know, we're two and five. If we can steal a Thursday night game, we are technically in the hunt and we can go after and, and, and really build this team and have a competitive year. So I, 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 my parting question for you, do you think that win had any effect in the deadline or do you think it's just one of those things that Jets didn't get the offer they wanted? I, I feel like it could have had a minor effect. Mm-hmm. Maybe if they made a bigger move. I don't know. I don't think so. Because mm-hmm. I think with Joe Douglas and the LDT, LDT trade, what that tells me, because Greg Van Roten just played his best game, and I think he contributed a lot to the Jets winning. So I think he very well could have been reactionary to that and not seen right guard as an issue to address. But even with that, he still goes out and makes this move. So that makes it clear to me that, you know, he's basing that on the entire season of tape and production, not just the last game. So I, I do, I don't think so. I think that um, in terms of the quarterback and, you know, Mike white, maybe playing himself into keeping the starting job, that game definitely affected that. But in terms of trade deadline, maybe minor impact, but I don't think a huge one. I like it. Well, Nanny, I really appreciate you coming on and filling in for Mike. Uh, any parting words for the listeners today? I don't just be patient with Zach when he comes back. It's I don't I don't be rough. Do not be rough on him. Give him be patient with him. He's going to throw some passes in the dirt. He might throw a pick that is very ugly. Be patient with this kid when he comes back in. Yeah, he's earned the respect uh, being number two overall pick to give him time. Completely agree. Nanny, thanks again for joining and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much for having me.